Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Christ in the Classroom presented by Sophia Institute for Teachers. I'm your host, Jose Gonzalez. In today's episode, I uh, give the reins to a colleague of mine. Uh, I'm excited uh, for them to share some great insights with you. I'll go ahead and let them introduce themselves. All right, let's get started. Welcome to Christ in the Classroom. I am your guest host for today. My name is Mark Kaschek. And today's topic is the reality of spiritual warfare. So hello to everyone joining us live and a future hello to anybody watching or listening later via podcast. Uh, So what I want to talk about today is what does spiritual warfare mean for us in our daily lives for the average Catholic What relevance does it have and how can we actively fight against the snares of the devil and of demons? I want to essentially reconnect us to our duties as members of the church militant, because in a lot of ways, we've kind of lost touch with that reality as it relates to spiritual warfare. Uh, So as always, Heidi is joining us in the chat box. Thank you, Heidi. So if you have any questions throughout the presentation, uh, message Heidi there. And we'll see if we can take some time at the end for, for questions. I'll do my best to leave time for that. Uh, so we shall see. So I'd like to start with a prayer. And it's one that every Catholic uh, should know and use. So in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. So first things first, since uh, this is one of the most common spiritual warfare prayers that we have, let's kind of pick it apart uh, from beginning to end. So defend us in battle. That makes three things clear. One, that there is a battle. This this is a real battle. It's not metaphorical. Uh, Two is that the attack is on us. We are engaged in that battle. And three, we need assistance. We're not asking for victory by our own power, but rather defense and assistance given our lack thereof. Okay? Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. So snares suggests that the attack in a way requires our consent in order for it to succeed. You know, snares are things that we can either be attentive to and avoid or become distracted from and succumb to, right? So then we can then assume that the protection against these attacks must be active and cannot be dormant. You know, we need to be vigilant. We need to be focused and aware of what the snares are so that we can avoid them. A little later, we'll talk about what active protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil looks like. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. Two terms to focus on here. God and humbly pray. So first, it's important to note God's power in rebuking Satan. We are recognizing here God's divine power and necessary assistance in order to not fall prey to the devil. So second, it's important to note that we do not order God or even St. Michael to do anything, but rather we pray humbly that it be done. Once again, this recognizes our position as ones being in need of grace and assistance. By the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits. Again, it's important to note that it is only by the power of God that the prince of the heavenly host, St. Michael, is able to cast Satan into hell. It's not even by his own power alone that St. Michael does this. 
Also, it's important to note that it's not just Satan, but all evil spirits that we are humbly praying that this be done to. You know, the enemy is not only Satan, but those under his command. You know, he has an army too, right? And then the end of the prayer, who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. So this last line is mainly what I want to talk about today. Again, there is a reality that the majority of the world, and indeed many Christians and even Catholics, either do not realize or perhaps even refuse to admit, namely that Satan, demons, and evil all exist, and they seek to ruin our souls. So this prayer is very useful. It's very important for our duties as members of the church militant. But aside from that, it does a very good job of painting the picture and laying out the reality that we're faced with on a daily basis. And if that's not convincing enough, let's take a quick look at a quote from one of our very favorite Catholics, Pope St. John Paul II, who said, the battle against the devil, which is the principal task of St. Michael the Archangel, is still being fought today because the devil is still alive and active in the world. We are in enemy-occupied territory. That what I, what I just said is, is not St. Paul, uh, St. John Paul II. We, I'm, I'm just saying we are in enemy-occupied territory constantly. Satan has been murdering since the fall. And as Pope St. John Paul II says here, he is still alive and active in the world. So let's take a closer look at what spiritual warfare means. You know, it can be defined as the battles we engage in to choose God's will over Satan's amidst the promptings of both the good and the evil spirit within us. So as that battle rages, we as beings with free will are presented with options. You know, sometimes the choice is more obvious than at other times. You know, do I skip work? Do I lie to my spouse? Do I murder or not, right? Most of the time though, the battle is more subtle or intricate. And not only do the attacks have varying degrees of intensity on us, but our strength against them also varies. You know, sometimes we're hungry or tired or irritated and it makes it easier to give in to these temptations. In most cases, whatever battle we're engaged in takes more strength and courage than it does, for instance, to make the choice to not murder someone. That's a relatively easy choice to make for most of us, I think. But these smaller choices are really important because it's all part of the same battle plan on both sides of this war, right? In the day-to-day -day temptations we face, God is still looking for us to choose his will. Ultimately, he wills our salvation, but we get there by way of saying yes to him on a lot of smaller things. You know, Satan's will is the destruction of God's work in our lives and ultimately the capture of our soul. And like I said, he's been doing this from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. It was there that man faced its first bout of spiritual warfare when they were tempted to do something seemingly very simple, just take a bite out of a piece of fruit, right? But at the root of that temptation, was Satan who was seeking to undo God's work in the hearts of Adam and Eve. And they, of course, lost that battle. Uh, but spiritual warfare is also seen in the New Testament with Christ's temptation in the desert, which gives us a really good game plan to work with. And the game plan essentially is to reject the temptations of the evil one, recognize God as your ultimate strength and rely on him to see you through. So way to go, new Adam. This is also a really great reminder, by the way, that we are one day away from Lent for those watching live. And if you're listening in the future, we are in the thick of it now. So stay strong, but just keep on going and stay strong. So 
let's make a battle plan, right? So one of the first things, one of the first steps in making a battle plan is defining the enemy and defining their goal. So the enemy, of course, is the devil and his demons, the evil one, right? And their entire goal, as the prayer to St. Michael tells us, is the ruin of souls. We also recall from the prayer that phrase, snares of the devil, meaning influences from the enemy that we can either accept or reject. So since we have the opportunity to, opportunity to reject them, the enemy has ways to make accepting them seem more desirable. So one of the most basic methods the enemy uses is to try and convince us that they're not real and that the battle doesn't exist. So there's this movie that came out about a decade ago called The Right, that's R-I-T-E, and it's about the right of exorcism. Anthony Hopkins plays this exorcist who has taken a young seminarian under his wing and the seminarian tags along with him on some sessions, but he's filled with this incredible doubt about the existence of the devil and the legitimacy of possession and of exorcism. And at one point, Anthony Hopkins character says to him, you want to be careful. Choosing not to believe in the devil won't protect you from him. Forgive my horrible Anthony Hopkins impression, but the, the, the point rings true. Choosing to not believe in the devil won't protect you from him. And at another point, he says in the movie, you know, does a thief or a burglar turn on the lights when he's robbing your house? No, he prefers you to believe that he's not there. Like the devil. He prefers you to believe that he doesn't exist. So be believing in the existence of the devil is actually a key step in resisting him. So if the target definitely believes that Satan exists, as all good Catholics should, then uh, the enemy has other methods of kind of uh, getting in. So they're incredibly crafty when it comes to suggesting that we deny God. And they're so crafty, in fact, that it can sometimes feel impossible to know where a stirring within us is coming from, whether from the enemy or from the Lord. So what allows the enemy to be so crafty and subtle and effective is that he truly knows us. Satan is no idiot. And make no mistake, without the grace of God, he could absolutely obliterate us. He is powerful, deeply cunning, and he's smart. So he knows that the best way to break a chain, and not in a good way, is to attack the weakest link. So whichever struggle is the greatest for us personally, there we will be attacked the hardest. So it's important that we remain especially vigilant in those areas. We also have concupiscence to deal with. Thanks a lot, old Adam, right? So concupiscence is, of course, a desire of the lower appetite, contrary to reason. Because of this, we're constantly at risk of attack. So it's not just our weakest links that we need to look out for. Spiritual warfare calls for constant, constant vigilance. So we have to be aware of our openings, so to speak, and the places where we open ourselves up to demonic influence, to evil, and there are many that exist, and a lot of them are just plain popularized in modern culture. Not only sins like vanity, pride, gluttony, lust, and the like, but things like yoga. You know, believe it or not, yoga can be extremely dangerous. And it sounds a little odd to say that, you know, brightly lit rooms filled with quiet people on squishy mats, humming and stretching could be breeding grounds for the demonic, but it's because of yoga's spiritual roots that it truly is dangerous. While there's nothing inherently dangerous about the physical bodily arrangement of warrior one, yoga is much more than just 
stretches with physical health benefits. There are mantras and chants and a sort of polytheistic belief of oneness with everything and energies. And you begin to open yourself to all sorts of attacks heading down that path. So uh, there are even things like, you know, Ouija boards that are obviously very dangerous. Horoscopes are incredibly popular footholds. Tarot card readings, voodoo, astrology is a big one right now. These things are absolutely running rampant and are being touted as, you know, harmless personal choices or even games in some cases. But in reality, they're just footholds for the enemy. So some of the things we should absolutely avoid doing is speaking known names of demons. In the official practice of exorcism, attaining the name of a demon is a big, big part of what grants an exorcist control. And it is not something to be meddled with or taken lightly. Do not toy around with the names of demons. Uh, another thing is watching or listening to things that are indulgent of demons or the satanic, obviously something we should not be doing. There's a difference, for instance, between watching a movie like The Right and watching a movie like Paranormal Activity, where there really is no redeeming quality to it. It's just a secularized Hollywood spectacle of demonic possession for the sake of thrills and entertainment. You know, that's a foothold. You know, a good rule of thumb basically is if you're not sure, <laughs> err on the side of safety and pray. Uh, so, you know, at this point, you might be thinking, goodness, this guy is a real downer, <laughs> right? But the good news is, um, that this battle has already been won on the cross, right? We have a lot of really, really powerful allies in this fight. Christ, for one, is a tremendous ally to us in this fight. God, the Holy Spirit, uh, we have only to rely on God to be victorious because he has won victory on the cross already. That's what spiritual warfare is all about, victory through Christ, Another ally of ours is Mary. It really cannot be overstated how strong Mary is in the arena of spiritual warfare. She is often depicted as the one who crushes the head of the serpent. And the devil is actually particularly afraid of Mary. And what he hates the most is the fact that, you know, what he hates the most about, you know, her crushing his head is, is the fact that she's God's humble little servant. You know, there's something especially humiliating to him about being utterly destroyed by someone as little and humble, as opposed to someone as grand and overtly powerful as God, right? Another ally of ours is St. Michael. I have this, uh, this statue of St. Michael here that usually sits behind me on my, on my bookcase. He's always walking over me, uh, at work. Uh, the battle against Satan is St. Michael's principal task, as Pope St. John Paul II tells us in that quote we saw earlier. The prayer to St. Michael ought to be a daily practice for us. Another possibly lesser known ally is St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. This is one of the titles given in the litany of St. Joseph as, one, as the one who is entrusted by God with the care of our top two allies against the enemy, Jesus and Mary, you can only imagine how terrifying St. Joseph truly is in the eyes of the enemy. So call on him as well. Uh, we of course also have all the saints and angels at our side, including our guardian angels, which are entrusted to us. We often end our prayers with all holy men and women, angels and saints pray for us with good reason. Uh, we also have each other as allies. 
we are the church militant, you know, the laity, priests, religious, etc. We're on the same battlefield, facing the same enemies, standing by the same allies, fighting the same good fight. So we are all fellow soldiers in the church militant. So what can we do? Right? We have our allies. What can we do? What are our stone walls? What is our ammunition? You know, it's good to know that so much has already been done. Like the cross, for example, is the death knell of the enemy. Look to the cross. If and when you lose courage, have faith in your victory through Christ. Uh, the sacraments, of course, grant us tremendous spiritual ammunition against the devil. Uh, chief of these is baptism, which in short is when we vow to reject Satan, reject sin and profess our membership to the church and to God. And when we are baptized, we join Christ's army. The Eucharist is obviously fantastic ammunition against the devil to receive Christ himself so that you can all the more easily draw strength and receive grace from him in your battles. Reconciliation or confession is also crucial in spiritual warfare because it allows us to return to God after we've gone astray. You know, it frees us and heals us in the areas where we've been captured or injured by the enemy and allows us to re-enter the battlefield with renewed strength in those areas and new dedication to Christ. You know, beyond the sacraments, we can also build up our defenses and our ammunition in our personal lives, in our own homes. For instance, fonts of holy water in your home or even in your office, wherever you go, is an incredible defense. Not only is blessing yourself with holy water a reminder of our baptismal vows to reject Satan and sin, but the enemy absolutely despises holy water. He hates it. St. Teresa of Avila once said, I have found by experience that there is nothing from which the devils fly more quickly than from holy water. Pretty powerful stuff. So put it everywhere, in your home, in your office, on your face. Have a priest stop by your home and bless your house with holy water and chalk and holy salt. Get a scapular, have a priest bless that and wear it all the time. Buy some icons of your favorite saints and put them all around your house. I've got a St. Michael the Archangel icon hanging outside my office door 24-7. There's a lot we can do physically to aid us in battle. Of course, there are also tons of prayers we can, we can pray to assist us as well, right? So the, the obvious thing we can do is just general prayer to God, to ask for strength in our daily battles. He knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows our struggles. He knows our weak links. So he knows where we need that strength the most. Mass is obviously a great strength to us. So go as often as you can, receive the Eucharist. We can also ask the Blessed Virgin Mary, the other angels, the Archangels Gabriel and Raphael, and St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, like we said before, for assistance and to pray for us, to intercede for us. More specifically, we can call on our Blessed Mother to assist us through the Rosary. So the Rosary is one of your greatest weapons in spiritual warfare. It is probably as close as it gets to a, you know, get strong quick scheme in spiritual warfare. If you're looking for, you know, like a cheat code in this, this, this would be it. It'd be the Rosary. So pray the Rosary and offer it up for strength in your spiritual battles. There is no overstating how powerful this is. Uh, the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel, which we analyzed earlier on, is obviously another prayer to use regularly. Uh, believe it or not, we can perform a minor exorcism or a lay exorcism, which 
it's important to note, is not the same as what's called a major exorcism. So a major exorcism is via the official rite of exorcism, and it can only be performed by a Catholic priest with the express permission of a bishop. So we are really, really not allowed to do that. But as members of the laity, we can perform a minor exorcism, which basically just means a small prayer to you know defend against the snares of the devil, right? And it can be used to break that influence of evil and sin in a person's life. And this is actually something I do with with my family, children included, every single Monday night. First, we gather in the living room and we pray the St. Michael prayer and we pray the Hail Mary. And then we walk around the whole house putting holy water on every single door, every single window while praying a minor exorcism prayer. So the minor exorcism prayer that we use goes like this. It's Lord Jesus Christ, through the intercession of the Immaculate Virgin Mary and St. Michael the Archangel, I humbly beseech you to command all demons and evil spirits to be gone from this place, that they may never return. Amen. So notice that in the prayer, we humbly beseech Jesus. We don't demand, and we ask for the intercession of our next two biggest allies, Mary and St. Michael. So pick up a, you know, lay exorcism prayer uh, with some holy water and, and do that with your family. Get a, get a crucifix specifically for that uh, and have a priest bless that, you know, really build up your defenses. We have so many tools at our disposal. We can also pray what's called the St. Michael chaplet. So the beads for these look similar to that of a rosary, but it's actually nine groups of one large bead and three smaller beads. So that's one Our Father and three Hail Marys. Uh, so each group of these is prayed for uh, or in honor of each of the nine choirs of angels. And let me tell you, the promises for the St. Michael Chaplet are phenomenal, including but not limited to an escort of an angel from each of the nine choirs chosen to, uh, to escort you the next time you go up to receive communion. So definitely look that up and start praying it. It is awesome. Uh, so all this goodness to share this battle plan, this wonderful way to do God's will and fight against the snares and the temptations of the devil. How do we bring this to our students? What can we do to raise awareness of this battle for our students and assist them in becoming, becoming stronger and more faithful soldiers of Christ uh, to help them to become saints? So a few things to keep in mind here. One, we want to make sure that what we bring to our students is age appropriate. So obviously you don't want to sit your second graders down and say, so demons are real and they want your soul. You know, <laughs> uh, my advice would be to focus more on the beautiful realities of spiritual warfare for our younger ones. For instance, how Christ protects us and how we have angels and saints as our allies and when we're having a hard time, we can call on them to, to help us out. Let them know about their guardian angels and how they can be called upon to help them. Focus their minds on the prayerful aspects of spiritual warfare. All of these things do reveal genuine truths about this battle without basically scaring the pants off of them, right? However, as our students get older, it's really crucial to ensure that they're prepared for battle, especially nowadays where the culture out there in the real world is just riddled with sins, especially sins of the flesh. We need to strengthen our students. You know, there's a stat that I recently saw that said our students are seeing something like 14,000 visual impressions a day. And you can only imagine that they are not 
all quite that holy. <laughs> so you can let your eighth graders know that demons are real. Let them know where the dangers lie. Give them the armor and the ammunition to fight the good fight. Ultimately, no matter what grade level or age level you're addressing with spiritual warfare, the bottom line is that we should not be afraid with God at our side and we can trust in his protection, right? That is the bottom line with our spiritual warfare. All right, so something we have been doing as we go through these series is to recommend a movie or a book or some music that relates to the subject. Now, I'm gonna recommend something in all three categories here. So the first is the movie. I will recommend The Right because I've talked about it a lot through this presentation. Again, that's R-I-T-E as in The Right of Exorcism. Watch it, it's great. It's got a bit of Hollywood thrill flavor to it because you know, money, but all in all, it's a great film. And it starts with that, Saint, that Pope St. John Paul II quote uh, that we mentioned earlier. That's the opening shot of the movie. So you know, it's legit, it's awesome. Uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, for the book, I will recommend Spiritual Warfare and the Discernment of Spirits by Dan Burke, which I have a copy of right here on my desk. I can hardly think of a more useful bit of reading on today's topic than this right here. Very, very brief synopsis. St. Ignatius of Loyola mapped out 14 rules to live by if you want to train yourself to listen for, detect, identify, and take action on the various stirrings within the good and the bad. Right, the good to accept them and the bad to reject them. So in this book, Dan Burke not only helps to break down and make sense of these 14 rules of St. Ignatius, but also offers connections with spiritual warfare and reflection questions to help us get better in battle, essentially. So just read it. It's awesome. It's fantastic. Uh, for music, I will recommend something by my favorite band, 21 Pilots. It's their self-titled album, 21 Pilots. It's a bit of a weird one. So you've been warned, but it's got everything, faith, struggle, the battle of good and evil, and even a ballad about how spiritual warfare helped the lead singer to better understand the crucifixion. So I think it's amazing. Maybe you will too. Maybe you'll be weirded out by it. Who knows? But that's my music recommendation for that. Okay. So it seems we definitely have some time for some questions here. So I'm going to... Uh, call over to Heidi here and see, Heidi, do we have any questions that anyone wants to, to ask? And we'll see uh, if we can field them. Hey, Mark, I do have a couple. The sure. first is, does spiritual warfare require a belief in God as much as the devil? If so, how do you address it to a class where that belief in God is absent? Right. Okay. So if I'm understanding the question correctly, it's kind of, you know, how do we deal with the people who believe that the that the devil exists, but don't necessarily have a belief in God. Am I understanding that correctly? Uh, without much other context, that would be where I would lean as well. Okay. Um, interesting. So, you know, it's, since the logic kind of, kind of works in, in the reverse of, you know, one of the, one of the main points of that movie, the right is that the, the main character struggles with the belief in devil uh, until he suddenly has a belief in God. And once he does, that's what allows him to believe in the devil and, and start to res resist him. I would say for those who uh, believe in evil but don't necessarily have a belief in God, uh, I think there is a, a foundational root uh, of, of good in resisting evil. 
I think having conversations with those people about what evil is, trying to find some common ground between their belief in evil and how that also has some common ground in our faith. Uh, seeing those similarities can help someone understand that, you know, coming from a position of faith, um, you know, let me see, see how I can put this, uh, can help them understand, just, just seeing those similarities helps them understand the legitimacy of, of where you're coming from as, a, as someone in a position of, of faith. Uh, so having them believe in evil suggests the, the, the existence of, the, of a more perfect good, right? Uh, so I would say get to them on that level and just help them to, to also in, in a more personal sense, uh, maybe encourage them in their own personal battles. Because a lot of, like I said, a lot of what spiritual warfare deals with is battling on the personal level, like, like we said, the evil one knows our weakest links and so does God. So God will help us strengthen those. The evil one will try to help try to, you know, take those down. And so being there for them personally, and also just being a witness to them, as we know, one of the key things in evangelizing to non-believers is not so much, you know, cramming the Bible down their throat or talking about Jesus, things that they don't believe in, but just leading by example. That's oftentimes the first step. So I would also, uh, I would say that would be a good, good step. All right. Next question is, and I think this is from the, where you were talking about modern footholds, uh, mm -hmm. is, is Harry Potter a problem? So, okay. Now I am no, uh, I, I am no theologian on this subject. I know that there are very legitimate people who are for it and legitimate people who are against it speaking. Uh, this is just my personal take. So a little uh, asterisk there. I understand that there are some uh, things in Harry Potter that our students or our little readers should be warned about. I, as I understand, and I can't, I can't verify this, but I think there are some legitimate, you know, uh, Wiccan type spells represented in the books. And that, that's obviously bad, but in my opinion, and spoiler alert to anyone who hasn't read the series, but is, is looking to, uh, the overarching theme of Harry Potter is one of good versus evil. And there are, believe it or not, a lot of you know, Christological themes uh, with the main character uh, to Christ. And if you are privy to those and can point those out for your students while at the same time warning them against the, you know, the dangers they might find within and helping them to, to put up walls against that, uh, but take away from it the, the Christological theming and the, the goodness of the good versus evil. Uh, I won't, I won't say validly where the church stands on it or the magisterium stands on it because I'm not a member of, of that, that authority body. But uh, in my personal experience, I do, and I do enjoy the books um, and I see some good in it. And I know that there are some, some threats and, you know, I have my defenses up against it. We need to make sure that our students do as well. Awesome. We've got a couple more coming in. Mm -hmm. Next one is what can you tell us about generational demonic attachment and what can we do to break it? That I unfortunately... I'm, I'm not an authority to, to say gener generational what, you know, what can be done about generational demonic attachment. That is something well beyond my pay grade. Um, you know, I, I, I think the first step that exorcists take uh, is to, you know, determine any psych, you know, exhaust all psychological and mental and physical health, uh, you know, analysis and all that. And they, of course, will take their course of action to, to do what they think is best. Uh, not being a member of that authority, I can't say what those steps would be, uh, but I do know that, uh, you know, we've got, we, as I said before, we've got a lot of great allies on, on our side and, you know, priests uh, in, in, that, uh, in that profession that are, are really doing great work to, to uh, 
aid us in that battle. So I, I, I'm afraid that that doesn't really at all answer the question, but that's only because this is serious stuff. And uh, I'm not I'm not one to speak on authority on something so so heavily severe. Yeah. All right. Next question is a bit of a long one. Sure. How can we convince our tween slash teen students about the horror of the devil when they see uh, Ouija boards on the shelves in book slash toy stores, sitcoms that portray the devil as a cool guy, such as Lucifer, uh, palm readers at entertainment functions, and they are now desensitized to horror from everything they watch on TV or their devices? I think, I mean, this is a fantastic question. I think it's a matter of familiarity. I mean, uh, and by familiarity, I mean, not sheltering them from these realities. Like I said before, we don't want to, you know, go up to our second graders and tell them that demons exist and want their soul. Um, but as our students grow older, if they're becoming familiar, if, if they're becoming desensitized to Ouija boards and tarot cards and voodoo and the devil is the cool guy and all these things, our answer must be to make them as familiar with the idea that these things are not okay. As those become normalized, we need to do our part to shelter when necessary, but also make them aware when necessary as well. You know, full, full on sheltering for the rest of your lives is, is not good. Full on exposure in, in watering down for the, for the rest of their lives is not good either. So there has to be a middle road uh, that we can take where, you know, as they are able to handle these, uh, these realities and able to wield these, these defenses and these weapons against these evils, we need to make them aware that these things they're seeing in bookstores and on TV shows and all that, what the realities are. There, there is a huge problem in Catholic, uh, in the Catholic Church right now with kind of a uh, uh, hesitating to touch on these heavier subjects. But it, it's so crucially important because let me tell you, the other side uh, does not take a day off. So neither can we. Awesome. That is all the questions that I have in my chat box. Okay, excellent. So um, I would like uh, to wrap up with an excerpt from another book that I highly recommend. It's called The Bible. Uh, this is Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, with the world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in the heavens. All right, so thank you so much for joining me today. For more online resources developed especially for Catholic school teachers, visit sophiainstituteforteachers.org. That's Sophia with a PH. And don't forget to visit the Christ in the Classroom webpage for today's free lesson. I'm Mark Kasjak with Sophia Institute for Teachers. Thank you and God bless. Thank you for participating in this week's episode of Christ in the Classroom. In order to request a professional development certificate, please visit sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC certificates. In order to access the free lesson with today's theme, as well as show notes, please visit sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC lessons. Thank you and God bless you.